trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. Come, pull up a chair. This is where we revel in wrong think. And I'm joined today by my friend Eric Peters from ericpetersautos.com. Hi, Eric. How are you? I'm good, Brian. Your duck-smiting friend is ready for another fun <laughs> session of wrong think. You know, uh, you and I, we, we joke around a bit, but uh, self-sufficiency really is a priority for both of us. And mm-hmm. I have watched with interest, as you have talked about, you know, raising ducks and, and this, you know, keeping small livestock, I guess is how we would put it. This is part of, mm-hmm. of your self-sufficiency, but yeah, harvest time came. How, how did that go for yeah. you? Well, you know, there's a... There's a solemnity to it, really, which I think is probably at least as important as the self-sufficiency aspect of it. And what I mean by that is uh, you become familiar with, directly familiar with what's involved in putting meat on the table. And we've become disconnected from that for the most part uh, as a society. People go to the store uh, and they pick up a package of meat, you know, and it, it, it doesn't it allows them to not think about where that came from and what was involved in bringing it to them. And when you raise and harvest your own animals, you are aware of it in a very direct and intimate way. And I think it makes you much more appreciative uh, for the meat and also for the animals that provide it. Yeah. And that's maybe that's the part that people kind of miss out on or, or they I, maybe they'll project, you know, incorrectly. Well, you must enjoy it. And it if you're bloodthirsty. But no, there's there's a respect and there's a responsibility that goes yeah. with it. And, and like you pointed out, Eric. There's also an appreciation of how food gets to the table that people who simply shop at the store sometimes forget. Absolutely. And I, I do think that that's very important. And I think, you know, people out there who are listening, who are hunters, will know all about this. Uh, you know, in a way, you're, you are bonding with nature and with uh, the circle of life. And there's another aspect of this, too, that I think is important. Is, and and it, it gets back to what we've talked about before, which is having control, direct control over the food that you eat. You know, I know that the birds that we ate last night weren't injected with anything. Uh, They weren't abused either uh, during the course of their lives. And that is an important consideration for me. I know that uh, they lived a good natural life. And when when their time came, uh, it was quick. They weren't put into a cage and trucked for hours to some abattoir someplace and then roughly handled by people who had no respect for them at all. So, you know, I feel much better about where my meat comes from than I do when I go to the store and buy it. No, I, I'm with you. And and there's, you know, people will think, oh, well, you're getting sentimental if you say that, uh, you know, you, you develop a relationship with these animals. They depend on you, yet they provide mm-hmm. for you. I mean, there's there's a there's a kind of uh, synergy that takes place there. I, I'm the same way with my chickens. My wife and I kind of, we go back and forth on, she doesn't think they should be free range. She worries they're just going to go and, and mm-hmm. uh, lay eggs anywhere but where they should but I like to let them be as free range as possible. Maybe that's my freedom philosophy coming through, but uh, those birds trust me. If I walk outside and say, Hey girls, they come running like little pets. Mm -hmm. Sure. Sure. And you know, by the way, those are squeamish about the death uh, aspect of it out in nature, uh, which I think often gets romanticized and idealized in a way that is contrary to the reality of things. Uh, they are preyed upon. And, you know, the, the kind of death that an animal would experience out in nature, you know, being ripped to shreds by a fox, let's say, 
while still alive uh, is a whole lot more horrible uh, than a quick uh, and efficient death uh, at my hands, uh, which they don't see coming and it just happens and that's it. It's over. Yep. And nature can be scary. It, we've we've lost one of our chickens. I don't know how, but but she's she's gone. And it could have been a fox. It yep. could have it could have been a hawk. I don't know. But uh, you know, those are the risks that go along with it. Um, you know, it's it's just it's it's one of those cooperative arts like gardening. You know, where your efforts plus the efforts of nature or the efforts of your birds produces something that's very worthwhile. And you know, if you have ducks, you do you have eggs, you have meat. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's. There's a lot to do, but there's work that goes along with it. And again, people who simply buy stuff at the store sometimes won't appreciate that or, or have misconceptions about what all that entails. Sure, absolutely. And since you know, you're know you going to be eating what you're raising, you are very much concerned about how it's being raised. And for you, the, the most important thing isn't doing it on the cheap uh, as inexpensively as possible so as to maximize the profit, which is frankly what uh, you know major companies that provide meat to the supermarket are doing. Uh, you know, I know my birds are not GMO uh, and, and haven't been um, injected with weird things uh, or, or any other such things. So, uh, you know, I feel that I'm, I'm healthier because I'm eating this sort of food. And that goes for the eggs, too, which I'm sure uh, you'll chime in and amen. You know, the, oh, yeah. the, the fresh eggs that come uh, from my coop are so much better. You can taste it. Anybody who eats, you know, fresh food will, will tell you the same thing. Yep. Yep. And isn't it interesting that, uh, you know, in, in interest of keeping us safe, as you would say, <laughs> um, there there are various bureaucracies out there that say, you know, it'd be a good idea if you were to register your flock with us, just, you know, so we know what's going on, we can track any illnesses and whatnot. It's none of their dang business. Yeah, isn't that great? Uh, just like a few weeks ago, they, they uh, sent the SWAT team out to shut down that uh, Amish farm that was providing horror, horror, fresh milk and fresh meat to people. Mm. Unreal. Just unreal. Well, if you want your freedom, you don't go ask permission for it. You simply, you know, you take your freedom and start living like a free person. That's right. Let's talk a little bit about uh, PayPal. Speaking of freedom and those who would, you know, do what they can to encroach upon it. uh, I saw your article about uh, this pay, not our pal uh, business. What are your thoughts on, on, on the, I don't know, was it, was it a slip or was it actual, you know, I mean, was this policy where they said if you promote misinformation, we can take $2,500 from your account? Mm-hmm. Well, I think it was their way of telling us what's in store. I don't think it just happened accidentally. This is a major corporation. Uh, they, they don't uh, promulgate or release statements without lots of consideration and having gone through their legal department and so on. And it was really Orwellian. Uh, this private company, that's a financial company that handles people's money, was claiming that it could simply fine you. A private company could fine you, meaning uh, simply seize money, your money that was held in an account that they held, uh, if you, per Facebook or Twitter, uh, in some way or other violated whatever their community guidelines are uh, and pervade what they style misinformation, which simply means uh, uh, unorthodox, uh, heterodox, information that runs contrary to whatever the orthodox narrative of the day is. And when this got out, my understanding is that there was something like a 60% free fall uh, in PayPal stock because naturally people are terrified at the prospect of a financial company that they do business with simply taking their money. And, you know, we're all worried about this, about not just PayPal, but we're worried about banks uh, doing this sort of thing. They did it in Canada, and I think that these big companies are very much itching to do the same thing here. Yeah, 
I, I would agree. Now I have to ask, I know you you, uh, you always solicit, you know, comments in, in your, in your articles. Did you, mm-hmm. did you hear of any good alternatives for those who like want to exit PayPal? What, what are some of the options that are available to us? Uh, you know, while I'm working on this, it's, it's, it's something I have to deal with because as you know, my site uh, is largely supported by people who donate and our donate button goes directly to, you know, who, so I'm looking at some of the alternatives, including the possibility of just figuring out a way to have a, like an account set up that people can directly deposit into. Um, I wish I had more information right now to share with the listeners. I may, uh, the next time we talk, because it's right at the top of my list of things to do to learn more about this. Okay. I, and I appreciate you, you writing on this and, 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 you know, again, sending the appeal out there if anybody knows of, of better alternatives, because... I, I'm concerned about this, too. I mean, the the warning signs were there back in February when the Canadian truckers convoy was going on and people's bank accounts mm-hmm. were being frozen. I, I'll tell you my concern, Eric. I worry that we are reaching a point where in order to in order to, to function within the system, particularly in terms of, of money and and storing money or banking money or spending money, you're going to have to toe a line. And, and I don't think you can be free and remain in that monetary system. And I don't know what the alternative could be. Well, the alternative is to set up parallel institutions. Uh, interestingly, and related to this, um, you're familiar with Kanye West. I can never pronounce his name correctly. Yeah, Ye. Um, <laughs> yeah, Ye. Well, anyway, you know, I never liked the guy's music just because I'm not a big fan of hip-hop. But leave that aside, I am a fan of what he's been doing recently. He was uh, excommunicated from Bank of America, which uh, his yes. company, which I understand is worth something like $40 million dollars. Uh, or or more, I can't remember what the figure is, but it's a huge sum of money. And they simply said they're not going to do business with him, notwithstanding, you know, it's a very profitable arrangement for them. And he said something along the lines of, you know, if they do this to me, you know, a major player with all this money, imagine what they're going to do to you. And I think the point was very well taken. And he is, what I'm, I'm, I'm hearing is, is, is attempting to launch some kind of an alternative institution for people to transact business with. And I think Gab might be involved with this as well. I, again, this is like a rolling thing that I'm having to, to learn more about. But ultimately, that's what it's got to come down to. I think uh, people who value freedom have got to come to the understanding that we cannot expect these establishment institution, institutional corporations, the legacy corporations, if you will, uh, to operate in a neutral and fair manner. And we have got to figure out a way to set up alternative uh, alternative institutions that we can do business with. Amen, bro. By the way, I bet Jeffrey Epstein <laughs> didn't have any trouble. <laughs> Just saying. Right. Just saying. We'll take a quick break. Eric Peters from ericpetersautos.com is my guest. We'll be back right after this. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is the Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. I have Eric Peters from ericpetersautos.com on the line with me. And uh, Eric, a couple of different things we can we can talk about. I, mm-hmm. I'm being reminded regularly, thanks to Twitter and people who kept receipts, of where we were about a year ago. Remember all the vaccine yep. mandates, the demonization of, of the unvaccinated? Yep. And, uh, you know, here we are a year down the road. I'd love to get your thoughts on... Uh, has the fervor died down? Is there still a danger of, uh, you know, uh, segregation of the unvaccinated? What What are you seeing from your vantage point? Oh, absolutely. You know, despite the fact that uh, our fearless leader or the fearless leader, the adult leader, uh, claimed that the pandemic was over, nonetheless, he uh, recently renewed the emergency, which keeps the pandemic in effect. 
Uh, so I think it's only a matter of time before they attempt to try it again. Segway, I thought was very interesting um, that you and I talked about a little bit before we went back on the air. Project Veritas has just released a video that goes back to July of 2020 of, of Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook uh, in an internal uh, a chat with, with Facebook employees telling them to be wary of the vaccines because they don't know what the side effects will be. And this is exactly at the same moment where anybody else who dared to raise their hand and say, you know, I'm a little bit worried about this. I'd like to know answers to X, Y, and Z was characterized as a wrong, thinkful spreader of misinformation and was pulled off of Facebook and sanctioned and all of the other good stuff. So once again, it shows rules for thee, but not for me. Oh, yeah. I get uh, about uh, about three times a month, I get notifications from YouTube because I post the audio for my show to YouTube. And I get notifications, we have removed your content. And it's always because... At some level, uh, in my show, I was questioning whatever the the medical consensus was at the moment, and yet the more information that comes out, the more it's clear. I was right. Not that not that I had all the answers, but the information that I was disseminating wasn't wrong. Yet, uh, you know, the censorship still continues. Well, even worse than that, uh, you know, we're seeing some truly terrifying things happening now. Uh, for example, in California, where it has been made unlawful, or rather, if a doctor. Uh, simply states facts to patients about the vaccine, that doctor runs the risk of having his medical license pulled for stating facts that nobody disputes. Yeah, that is chilling. That's, you know, talk about the state uh, interposing itself between a doctor and patient. It's it's sickening. And yet, uh, you know, the, the thing that gets me the worst is to see Dr. Fauci Sorry, I feel like I have to do the gypsy spit. <laughs> you yep. know, has, yep. he, denying. Oh, I never wanted to lock things down. Oh, we never said that the vaccine oh, yeah. would stop transmission. They lie right to our faces and gaslight yep. us and expect us to just nod our heads obediently. Okay, all right. Well, they quibble. You know, that's a, a good term that's not used often enough, meaning, uh, you know, they, they just don't quite tell you the whole truth. So technically, you know, he didn't come out and say, yes, the schools must be locked down. He would say things like, the CDC issued guidelines, and I'm just following the CDC's guidelines. I wish I could do a better Fauci, but that's the sort of thing that they'll say. I still maintain, I don't care how radical it sounds, I think Nuremberg-style trials and these people sitting in a courtroom having to defend their decisions and their advocacy is, is really going to be the only solution that would, would prevent this from happening again. Sure, absolutely. And it's, 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 it's remarkable to me that anybody could disagree with that statement. Uh, on 9-11... Uh, what was it, 3,600 Americans were killed uh, by uh, radical jihadis or whoever you want to you know, think did it. Ultimately, several thousand people were killed. And there were all sorts of recriminations as a result of that. Well, with many more people than that have died, literally died, not to mention the millions of people who have been, uh, have been economically crippled as a result of what was done to them in the name of all of this stuff. Uh, the emotional damage, the psychological damage, the kids in particular, it's unconscionable, and I agree with you. Uh, this will not end uh, until there are trials and accountability, real accountability too, not just the slap on the wrist stuff. Well, and the, and the question is, who will have the fortitude to pursue that? Yeah, that's a tough question. Absolutely. You know, we're, we're going to have some answers, I think, in a couple of weeks, depending on the outcome of these midterms, assuming we have midterms. Uh, if there is a uh, tsunami that flushes out these radical leftists and the Republicans have operational control of both houses of Congress, 
then the heat's going to be on them. Because I think people are tired of campaign speeches followed by absolutely no action. I think if they don't do anything, it's probably going to be the end of the Republican Party. Because why bother with them? Why continue to elect these people uh, who, who claim they're going to do something and never do? No, very, very true. And, you know, speaking of, of uh, grand productions, look at all we're doing. How about the uh, January 6th committee? I guess there are big season finales coming up this week. Is anybody even watching that, though? I don't think uh, in so. A way, I'm, <laughs> in a way, really, I'm glad that the left continues uh, to beat that dead horse. Uh, it, it might, in a time of prosperity, make political hay for them to do that. But with people literally, literally facing uh, you know, economic imp- imp- impoverishment to a degree that is almost unprecedented in our history, you'd have to go back to the 30s. Uh, to deal with something like we're dealing with right now, the chaos, the disorder, the threat of nuclear annihilation over Ukraine. I think the last thing that's on most Americans' minds outside of the D.C. Beltway is January 6th. Right. Well, and, and apparently they wanted to subpoena Trump himself to come and, and uh, to testify. Sure. Sounds you know, like they it. want to keep this thing going because they want people to stop thinking about how their money has been devalued, how their lives have been diminished. Uh, about how the country is run by a, a dementia-addled, kid-sniffing pedophile. Very true. Well, and it's, it, you know, the idea that uh, they want Trump to come and, and sit before the committee, it's, that sounds like a old, good old-fashioned communist struggle session. Yeah, sure, exactly. And again, any fair-minded person recognizes that. that this is not some sort of objective inquiry and let's find out what happened. Oh, my gosh. It is clearly a partisan witch hunt. Uh, organized by the same partisans who've been witch hunting since the Orange Man uh, came down the stairs back in 2016. And again, I'm not a partisan for the Orange Man, but it's become so blatant, so over the top, Orange Man bad, Orange Man bad, to keep people's minds off of what's really bad that's going on all around them. Yep. I can only hope that, uh, that you know, the elections come and, and at least to some degree, the power of these people is rolled back um, hopefully decisively, but, you know, I'll settle for even a little bit, roll it back, and uh, I, I don't know. They, they appear to be scared, terrified. Well, I'm, what, I'll tell you what I'm scared of, and this may be the concluding thought for our, our chat today, that uh, if they do lose the election, uh, you know they'll still be in power for several months until the new Congress is sworn in in January, and things might get really hairy in the couple of months between the election and January. Wow. Yeah, it's I, I, I'm hearing talk of uh, there could be uh, blackouts. You know, the electrical grid here in America is is at risk. I mean, we know this is the case in other countries. Europe, I know, is facing hard times. We feel pretty immune, but I think it would be it would behoove us to 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 prepare as if we could experience troubles as well. Yeah, we might like to do what the Swedish government is advising the Swedish people to do, which is to get some blankets and throw them over the dinner table so that the family can huddle under it and stay warm this winter. <laughs> and that's not a joke. They really no, did do that. It's, uh, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm trying to keep my sense of humor, but at the same time, <laughs> uh, it, I oscillate back and forth between, well, this is a fine mess and, and, and just a sense of rage at the people who are doing this deliberately, putting us in this situation. Yeah, well. There, I think that rage is general and it's spreading. People are feeling this. It's no longer just a rhetorical academic discussion. They are feeling it. They're seeing it every time they open the bill from the power company. Uh, you know, they're seeing that their you know hundred dollar bill is now the new twenty dollar bill in terms of what it buys. 
Yep. And people are getting tired of it. And good. That's what we need. It's time to do something about it. Yep. And like you mentioned in the last segment, building parallel systems, that's a pretty productive way to go about uh, addressing this problem rather than trying, well, let's vote and, you know, reform the system yep. from within. How about we build something better, something that makes that system Yeah, and obsolete. at the local level. At, at the, the local, local level. level. Yes. As you and I have talked about repeatedly, you know, make uh, connections with the people who live near you with people in your community, do business locally. And the more of that you do and the bigger your network, uh, the more immune you are uh, from from these sinister, centralized, and very remote control structures, whether they're governmental uh, or corporate, and the less damage that they can do to us. Eric, great to talk with you as always. Thanks again, my friend. Thank you, Brian. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. And a special thank you to Garage Door Pros. They are one of my fine sponsors. You can find a link that will take you directly to their website, garagedoorproservices.com. That's in my show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. I just want you to know that if you live in St. George or Cedar City, Utah, or if you're in Mesquite, Nevada, or Colorado City, Arizona, you have access to this incredible local company that will install, service, and repair garage doors, whether commercially or residentially, and they'll give you a quick response, much faster lead time than other companies can give you. And I know this matters to a lot of people. Their garage doors are made here in America. So call them at 435-525-2773 or go to their website, garagedoorproservices.com. So I'm thinking back to what it was like a year ago when the push for vaccines, the mandates were really in full swing. And I know I, I harp on this and I hope it doesn't sound too much like, man, Brian, you are really carrying a grudge. The reason that I keep coming back to this, though, is because I absolutely do not want to see a return to this. I think this was this. I I honestly believe we're going to look back at some point, maybe maybe a hundred years from now, maybe a thousand years from now, we will look back on that period of human history and say, "Man, that was dark stuff," or it opened the door to darkness that we haven't seen in you know a long time, say eighty years or more. If you get my drift, really ugly stuff. And when the demonization of the unvaccinated was in full swing, there were some great lessons to learn. Thankfully, Michael Sanger has done a nice recap of not only the depths of the depravity that we were experiencing at that time, but what we can learn from it to make sure that it doesn't happen again. So I turn to the Brownstone Institute, brownstone.org, marvelous resource for lots and lots of information relating to COVID and other things. This is what Michael Sanger had to say. He said social media has been in an uproar since a member of European Parliament posted a video of a hearing in which a Pfizer director admitted the company never tested whether its COVID mRNA vaccine prevents transmission prior to its approval for uh, emergency use. Now, though, the fact that the COVID mRNA vaccines do not prevent transmission was, of course, abundantly clear from the data soon after their implementation. That myth was a primary justification for vaccine passes and a primary cause of the unprecedented venom launched at those who refused COVID vaccines throughout 2021 and continuing through today. He says not only did governments exert this pressure through policy, but in many cases, politicians and officials used their office to deliberately stoke the social stigmatization of the unvaccinated. 
Stigmatization. Uh, wow, that's that's a handful. Anyway, let's look back at some of the unprecedented vitriol that was launched at those who refused COVID vaccines from 2021 and beyond. He says officials in many jurisdictions proposed making the unvaccinated pay more for health care. Here's a Washington Post headline. Unvaccinated hospital patients in Illinois should pay for their COVID-19 care, Democrat proposes. Here's another one from Reuters. Paris Hospital's chief sparks debate on whether unvaccinated patients should pay for treatment. Meanwhile, in Victoria, Australia, where lockdowns were longer than perhaps in any other city in the world, one politician proposed cutting the unvaccinated out of the national health system entirely. This is from Australia News. Victoria AMA says COVID deniers and anti-vaxxers should opt out of public health system and let nature run its course. A particularly disturbing idea that began to gain serious traction among the elite commentariat was to have hospitals triage, triage rather emergency care to serve the unvaccinated last or even deny health care to the unvaccinated entirely a fairly clear-cut crime against humanity. This is... Uh, Uh, CBC News, public outrage over the unvaccinated is driving a crisis in bioethics. Here's the subheadline. Pandemics bring unprecedented disagreements among doctors over how to triage those folks who refuse the shot. Here's a headline from Colorado Newsline. Should the unvaccinated be denied health care? As hospitals reach capacity, the ethics of who is prioritized in triage gets murky. And then here's one from, uh, let's see, this, this looks like... I can't tell. I can't tell the news source on this one. Um, Esther Ratson stuns GB News host as she urges unjabbed OAPs not to seek NHS help. Esther Ratson stunned GB News presenter Dan Wooten as she suggested people choosing not to get vaccinated should not seek assistance from the National Health Service if they become ill. And then, of course, here in America, one vocal proponent of the idea of triaging emergency care to disfavor the unvaccinated was David Frum, senior editor of The Atlantic most famous for his outspoken support for the invasion of Iraq. When his infamous tweet on the subject sparked an uproar, Frum doubled down. This was his original tweet. Seems the best option is, number one, keep encouraging vaccines and boosters. Number two, impose vaccine mandates where it can be done. Number three, otherwise return to normal as fully as we can, especially the schools. And number four, let hospitals quietly triage emergency care to serve the unvaccinated last. Now, when people called him out on this and said, you you know what you're talking about here you know what you're suggesting he says reading the reactions to this tweet i'm impressed by the immense self-pity of the anti-vaxxers who see themselves as bottomless victims even as their own bad choices deny hospital care to so many others in desperate need and he went on to write an article about how vaccinated america has had enough in the united states this pandemic could be over by now the reasons it's still going are still pretty clear wow that's, I guess that's what hubris looks like. Well, they'll have to have a picture of David Frum in the dictionary from here on out. Then, of course, Piers Morgan also weighed in. Those who refuse to be vaccinated, he said, with no medical reason not to, should be refused NHS care if they then catch COVID. I'm hearing of anti-vaxxers using up ICU beds in London at vast expense to the taxpayer. Let them pay for their own stupidity and selfishness. Now, shockingly, This appalling idea of triaging emergency care based on vaccination status is still being proposed to this day. This is an article just from this past August from Bioethics. Vaccination status and intensive care unit triage. Is it fair to give unvaccinated COVID-19 patients equal priority? 
Now, Michael Singer says the demonization of the unvaccinated was, of course, far from limited to health care. Vilifying the unvaccinated became a kind of illiberal fad among the elite commentariat. The U.S. CDC even paid screenwriters and comedians to promote COVID vaccines, which in some cases involved paying them to mock the unvaccinated. And then here's another headline. Anne McElvoy, the unvaccinated have become a lethal liability we can ill afford. In a bout of recidivism to the early 20th century, Austria and Germany introduced the chilling concept of lockdown for the unvaccinated. With Reuters headline, Austria plans to approve lockdown for the unvaccinated on Sunday. That was from November of 2021. Lockdown for the unvaccinated gained traction in the English-speaking world as well. Karen Brady divides fans as she claims unvaccinated should face their own personal lockdown. Are you seeing the pattern here? Most countries, cities, and states across the Western world introduced vaccine passes that their own citizens had to show in order to partake in daily life. The World Health Organization published an extensive document on implementing a digital vaccine pass system, including an international vaccine status registry and instructions on how to later revoke someone's vaccine pass. But the most dystopian of these vaccine pass systems was in Lithuania, where the unvaccinated were banned from nearly all public spaces and employment outside their homes. The few shops where they could purchase essentials had to post large red signs on their doors indicating that unvaccinated persons could be present. And of course, who could forget Justin Trudeau's classic Fuhrer-style rant about having to share public transportation with the unvaccinated, despite government documents later revealing he had no science to back any of these claims. So Michael Sanger points out, look like so much of the response to COVID, these vaccine passes and the liberal fad of stigmatizing the unvaccinated were unscientific, unprecedented, ineffective, totalitarian, brutal, and dumb. It was never remotely realistic for any government to expect every single person to get vaccinated, especially when the vaccine in question involved a novel genetic-based therapy. Thus, these proposals to imply or to impose rather draconian hardships on those who refused COVID vaccines would inevitably involve the state imposing draconian hardships on a large portion of the population. Now, according to Harvard epidemiologist Martin Koldorf, one of the most credible voices on the subject, COVID vaccines likely yielded benefits for the elderly and vulnerable. But he says it remains entirely unclear whether COVID vaccines have yielded any benefit at all for healthy adults and especially for children. Coupled with the still unknown risks associated with mRNA technology and the now well-documented cases of death and serious injury from these vaccines, for governments across the world to have exerted extreme pressure on children and healthy adults to get these vaccines is absolutely sickening. That some healthy young people were surely coerced into receiving an injection that led to their death or serious injury when the data showed that the benefits did not outweigh the risks is an unconscionable tragedy. So says Michael Singer. Now, my goal here is not to get you riled up and angry and, you know, ready to grab the pitchforks and torches. But if anything, I just hope to point out, do you remember what it was like? Do you remember the discomfort and the threat that this posed to people? I personally know people who had to take the vaccine based on it was that or lose their job. Talk about coercion. Well, you can have your livelihood or you can get the shot. You know, if you don't want to get the shot, then you can't have your livelihood. That's a heck of a thing to to force somebody into. Let's not let that happen again. Let's not even venture near anything like that happening again.
This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. A quick shout out here to lifesavingfood.com as well as hslammo.com and monticellocollege.org. These are three of my fine sponsors, and I have links to every single one of them in my show notes, which if you haven't subscribed to my show notes, could I encourage you, please consider it. I will send you each day that I do the show just a, a, a link to my show notes page where you can check out the various articles, guests, and commentators that, that I share on this program. And, you know, it's, it's totally up to you what you do with the information. It's not like, here are your talking points. Now go, go forth and spread the word. It's, it's more a matter of this is information that I think could be useful and better understanding the world around us. And, of course, I have some wonderful sponsors who make this possible on a daily basis. I would encourage you, if you or someone you know needs their product or needs their service, please consider doing business with them. So, with that said, I know things are looking pretty challenging. I, I'm, not, uh, I'm not an expert on financial or economic matters. Thankfully, I have friends who are extremely well-informed on this. So I turn to them on a regular basis and I'll ask them, hey, Carl, what's going on with this? Or I'll ask, you know, Ruben, what, what, you know, what do you know about this? And, and these friends will send me articles and, and try to help keep me up to speed. But let's just say there are a lot of moving parts. And the economic outlook right now, it's not particularly stable. This is a time where everybody's feeling the pressure of rising prices. I mean, look, if, if you don't do your own grocery shopping, sometimes it's kind of hard to appreciate how the price is going up on most of these items noticeably. Like every time you go to the store, it's like, oh, that's, that's costing more now. So when people tell us, well, inflation's you know, not, not that bad, it's really, you know, it's only 8%. Trust me, there are people who are, are fudging the numbers to try to put the best possible spin on it, but it's real. And we are facing a lot of economic pressures from various, uh, you know, global influences. Things are looking pretty crazy. But here's the good news, and this is, this is the point I'm getting to. You study a bit of history and you will see a very interesting pattern that clearly jumps off the page. And that is, during tumultuous times, there are always entrepreneurs who find innovative ways to solve problems. In fact, some could argue that it's, it's because of those tumultuous times, not in spite of them, but because of them. People have to think more creatively. They have, to, they have to look at things from a slightly different angle than they did when everything was just going great. And entrepreneurs are the ones who lead the way. They find the solutions. They provide value to people. And what that spells is opportunity. For those who are willing to, you know, break out of the employee or victim mindset that, well, you know, my goal is just to find a job and hang on to it for as long as I can. If you've ever considered breaking out of the employee mindset, I'd like you to check out this incredible article from the Foundation for Economic Education. This was uh, this was actually written back in September of 2019. Two authors, Doug McCullough and Brooke Medina, and it's titled What is Entrepreneurship? And they go through and talk about what exactly it is. It's the endeavor of creating, owning, and commercializing an idea, technology, product, or service, as well as assuming the risks and rewards associated with that enterprise. And then they talk about the relationship between entrepreneurship and innovation, how it's different from employment. And I understand, look, it took me a long time to, to really step out and, and start my own business and not uh, be dependent on being an employee of somebody else. I couldn't go back, though. 
And frankly, that's what I've heard from every single person I know who has become an entrepreneur. Yeah, there's risk and there's risk of failure, but it's worth it because most of us don't even realize that we're wearing a leash until that leash comes off. They tell us about what an entrepreneur looks like, about how this goes beyond small business, how you define success, why to pursue entrepreneurship. Marvelous article. And and I only share this because I know that there are people who are feeling nervous as they look around and see the economic, you know, dark clouds gathering. Just know there is opportunity, even if, you know, there's a major market downturn, market crash, market correction for people who are entrepreneurial minded dispels opportunity. Maybe we should take a, take a look at this from a slightly different angle. All right, final thing I wanted to share with you. This, this is such a powerful essay from Paul Rosenberg. I remember him punishing, or publishing this a few years ago, and he has since uh, dusted it off and, and uh, sent it out again this week with, with a few updates. Marvelous. Lots of ideas that are becoming taboo in our day. You know what one of the most forbidden thoughts is? That, uh, that you'll encounter today. This is something you're not allowed to really say out loud or acknowledge. This is what the dominating systems of our world fear most, and that is the idea that you and I will realize man is a glorious creature. Paul Rosenberg says the dominating systems of our world require us to feel weak, afraid, and insufficient because they couldn't continue if most of us didn't feel that way. And so the friends and operators of these systems must assume the opposite assumption, and that is that we're not inadequate. He says, I've watched popular culture for a lot of years, and I can tell you that since the 1970s, one concept above all has been forbidden in intellectual circles. Man is a glorious creature. Now, he says, if you'd like to prove that to yourself, say a few things like these at cocktail parties. Say, you know, Western civilization has accomplished so many good things that it's mind-blowing. Trust me, someone will step up. Well, actually, CRT teaches this. (laughs) Just, I mean, it's, it's becoming institutionalized. If you say things like, most people are basically decent and don't need to be controlled. Again, you'll get pushback. Or if you say something like, I see so much goodness in humanity, or humanity is ascending towards the gods or heaven or whatever. And if you really want to see a reaction, just say, you know, the human race is magnificent. He says the responses you get will be educational. So why this thought is hated? Well, Paul Rosenberg says one reason people respond so violently to this idea is simply self-defense. At this point, nearly every adult has built his or her world around the belief that people are bad. They've taught it to their children. They've showed their enlightenment by stating such things at parties and so on. To admit the opposite just what wouldn't just be to admit that they were wrong. It would actually tear down their infrastructure of meaning and status. And there are not many people who have the courage for such things. Another reason is they simply fear being shamed. People who say such heretical things are quickly ridiculed by holders of status. That's tyrannical, of course, but it's all too easy to stay inside the conspiracy of compliance. It's dangerous, even if heroic, to defy powerful people. Buckminster Fuller described the institutional necessity of inadequacy back in 1981. He said, there's a built-in resistance to letting humanity be a success. Each one claims their system is the best one for coping with inadequacy. In other words, the dominance hierarchies running things all claim that theirs is the right way to fix human inadequacy. So if you claim that humans are adequate, you're also saying that those those systems rather aren't necessary. And ruling systems don't like to be called unnecessary. Besides, promoting darkness is a big business. 
News channels are little more than fear delivery systems, but they're a major business. Social media is considerably worse. It delivers darkness in your own internal voice. And Paul Rosenberg says, obviously, advertisers need you to feel insecure. Ads that don't make you feel insecure, inadequate, or guilty don't pull nearly as well as those which do. That's just a human weakness that's being scientifically exploited. It can be interesting to see how all this appears to outsiders. Back in the 1950s, the new president of Indonesia, Sukarno, visited the U.S. and had this to say, I find only one fault with Americans. They're too full of fear. Afraid of B.O., afraid of bad breath, they're haunted by the fear they'll never get rid of dandruff. This state of mind I cannot understand. Now, Paul Rosenberg says, and we shouldn't understand it either. We are magnificent creatures, the only creatures in the known universe who create willfully and seemingly without limit. We've eradicated diseases. We've learned to feed billions of people, created machines that move us across the ground tremendous distances safely and reliably, created machines that fly us around the world at incredible speed. We've harnessed the information stores of humanity and made them available to anyone, almost for free and almost anywhere. None of that is arguable, and yet we still think we're just a stab above refuse. So he says, take an honest look. That means turn off the TV, turn off your cell phone, walk through the park for a while to let the stream of negativity subside a bit. Then take a fresh look around. Yes, some dark things can still be found, but you'll see most people simply going about their business, working, cooking, shopping, tending to children, driving their cars. They do these things well, or at least well enough, nearly all the time. Shouldn't they get credit for that? We're improving, unfolding, evolving creatures. Yes, much improvement remains, but we're moving in that direction. And he says, consider this, please. The sea of negativity that surrounds us is an anti-evolutionary poison. It serves stasis and sacrifice collecting. It does not serve progress. So he says, I'm going to close with another quote slightly edited from Buckminster Fuller. Quote, I decided man was operating on a fundamental fallacy, that he was supposed to be a failure. I decided that man was, in fact, designed to be an extraordinary success. His characteristics were magnificent. And so Paul Rosenberg concludes, we are not inadequate. We've just been made to think so. Now, look, I'm, I'm a pragmatist in the sense that I realize, yes, there are bad people out there. There are bad things that can happen. There are, there are rules that, uh, that apply in this fallen world that sometimes pertain to negative things. However, let's not lose sight of the fact that really, I think C.S. Lewis put it this way, you know, when you're dealing with God's children, you're dealing with immensely glorious beings. Somewhere we need to keep that in the back of our mind so we don't lose perspective. This is The Brian Hyde Show.